Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust proof stainless steel hardware, weather ready teak, and quick dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello and welcome to the Runners World podcast with me, Rick Pearson. This week we're speaking with Steve Magnus about why people get mental strength wrong and what true toughness actually looks like. On the subject of mental toughness, there's been a new 24-hour British record. Robbie Britton claimed the new record racing over in Torino, Italy, where he ran a staggering 277.439 kilometres. That's about 172.7 miles in 24 hours. And that's better than the previous record, which was held way back or set way back in 1982 by David Dowdle. And um, Robbie said to Runners World, the British 24-hour record has been a goal of mine for many years, so it's a dream come true to finally run it. The psychological battle was as hard as a physical one, the legs start hurting early doors and you still have 18 hours to go. The mind wants you to stop or slow down and I had to take it in and I had to take it one hour at a time to convince myself it was all worth it that the record was still possible. The last 6 to 8 hours when I had to keep working hard the whole time to maintain record pace, it was really tough. It means the world to me to be able to call myself a British record holder, proper bucket list stuff. So many congrats to to Robbie for setting that record. That's absolutely amazing. And we've had a couple of rec- um we've had a couple of letters in as well. Uh one is about the hardest road races. So this is something that we talked about over the last few weeks. And uh, the hardest road race, the hardest road race was um, Langdale. Apparently has a fifteen percent DNF rate um, up in the Lake District. It's got loads of climbing. Um, but a listener, Toby Bellis, wrote in and said, uh, although not a full marathon, Sheffield half marathon is worth a mention. The first five miles is a climb out to the Peak District. I've always seen uh, more people drop out and struggle on this than I have any other marathon. So there you go. Hard, mar- hard half marathon there, Sheffield half marathon. And um, on the subject of taking good uh, race photos, which we were um, discussing a while back and Ben, Jane and I were lamenting that um, <laughs> we never look good in, in race photos. Uh, Christopher Wagner wrote in, he said, on a recent episode, I was saddened to hear the three of you were unhappy with your race photos. My fiance and I run the races at Walt Disney World where there are a lot of photographers on the course. Uh, the following advice helped my friends and me to have amazing photos 85% of the time. So here we go. Number one, keep an eye out for photographers so you're not surprised. Number two is to raise your chin slightly. Number three is smile so large that it feels goofy. It will look normal at mile 25 of the marathon. And number four is increase your pace just a tiny bit. It won't spoil your race, but it will improve your form drastically because it forces you to think about it. So some good tips there from Christopher. Thanks very much for the letters. If you want to write in, uh, we'd love to uh, to read letters out. It's always great to hear people uh, back from listeners. So it's a uh, podcast at runnersworld.co.uk. All right, I think we should get on our really um, pretty high profile guest of the week. Steve Magnus is like, 
you know, globally renowned performance coach. So it's absolutely great to, to catch up with him about the very enlightened way that he's now looking at mental strength and is encouraging other runners to, to do so. So hopefully uh, you get out a lot out of this interview and uh, let's get on our guest of the week. Guest of the week, here in the studio, guest of the week, sometimes on the phone, could be an athlete, could be a physio, or a complete so our guest this week is a world-renowned expert in health and performance. His latest book, Do Hard Things, looks at why we get mental strength all wrong and what true toughness actually means. Steve Magnus, welcome to the Runners World podcast. Oh, thanks so much for having me. Really looking forward to the conversation. No, it's, it's a pleasure to have you on. So with your new book, Do Hard Things, why did you want to write it? You know, I think we write the books that we need and are wrestling with. Yeah. So as a lifelong runner, I've always wrestled with this this idea of like toughness because like what is running except kind of being alone in your head and like fighting those demons that 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 tell you to slow down or drop out or whatever have you. So I've always kind of had this in in the back of my mind and what I was kind of seeing in the wider range is that almost the the view we kind of took in running on navigating this these these difficult moments i think was a little bit better often than the kind of wider range of like put your head down push through like ignore all the pain and and suffering just like you know grit your teeth and 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 get through it and and my experience as a runner was that yeah sometimes i needed to do that but often i try and do that and it would fail miserably so I, I just, it was just kind of this topic I've been wrestling with in the back of my head for, for years. And I just thought, you know what, let's, let's try and bring some uh, clarity to it. Where do you think that idea of kind of get your head down, no pain, no gain, like where's, where's that coming from? Where do you think this sort of traditional idea of mental strength um, emanates from? Yeah, so I went down a long winding path to try and answer that question. And, and the best I can get to you is that it it has its roots in kind of the military like mindset of doing difficult things and you can trace it all the way back um you know to kind of modern military equations but i i, I think really it kind of came out of we kind of really saw this flourishing in in uh, after world war Two, because all of a sudden you had all these just everyday people who got drafted into the military and put through boot camp and put through some crazy stuff and had to get ready for some extreme situations very quickly. It's not not like you had years to train or even months. It's like train them up, th throw them over, you know, into the world war. And what happened is I think out of that, we just got this conceptualization of like, oh, this is how you get tough really quickly and in fact especially in the u.s but also in the uk um what you saw in the sporting culture is that most of the kind of athletic coaches like were in the war right, right they were right. they were they were because they were, they were part of it and they come home and it's like oh we return home now we're the PE teachers the athletic coaches the football coaches the track coaches so this kind of military short-term mindset kind of infiltrated and took over athletics. And in fact, in the like 1950s and 60s, especially in American football, but also in other sports, 
all the metaphors started to change towards like sport and war you know it's like we're we're going to war today you know and i guess i mean you talk about this a bit in in the book but it's a philosophy that that you took on yourself in your early careers as a runner and you feel like actually i mean can you can you tell us a little bit about that how you that that was a philosophy that you were following early on and, and kind of what the consequences were of of doing so yeah, so absolutely. So, you know, like anybody, I thought that was kind of the way the put your head down, grit your teeth, grind through it. And <laughs> it's kind of funny because it, it works to a degree, but I think the consequence comes when it doesn't work and it's not going to work all the time because what it does is it almost puts you in a situation where if you don't run your PB or you don't run as well as you want, you're kind of left questioning like, well, yeah, am I yeah. not tough enough? Like maybe I'm mentally weak and you and you quote unquote fail and you see that failure is like a reflection on your kind of like mental abilities. And and that can lead to some very kind of striking uh, psychological and also physiological consequences where it's like, you know, it's almost like you're training your brain to have like one tool. I almost see it as like if all you have is a hammer then sure, the hammer works when a nail is in front of you. But as we know as runners, like we're not always <laughs> going to get a nail. Sometimes we're going to get like need a screwdriver or saw or whatever have yeah. you to get through the difficult thing. And if all we think is the hammer is the only solution, then more often than not, we're going to get frustrated and, and struggle. So, so let's talk about some of those more in, enlightened solutions then. I mean, you mentioned a few themes in your book that I'd love to talk about are... Um, say that your your emotions are messengers, not dictators. And could you tell us what you mean um, when you say that? Yeah, so absolutely. So often I think we, we think of emotion as something that we should like push away, right? It's like push away the pain. You know, in, in America, we have this f- famous saying, like no crying in baseball, like never show your right, emotions, okay, right? right? And, and, and the thing is, that's a complete misunderstanding of the science and psychology of emotions. So emotions and feelings are essentially messengers, meaning they're like signals to our kind of conscious awareness that, hey, something is going, you know, something is is interesting. We'll, we'll put it that. Could be interesting in a good way, could be interesting in a bad way, but they're essentially saying like, hey, pay attention to this thing. Like you might be, uh, need to be aware. It's almost like the... Uh, the the warning lights on on our our car or our uh you know a pilot's cockpit like they're saying hey something's a little different than normal like you know be aware and i think if we ignore those then what we're doing is we're ignoring our kind of body's communication system it's not saying hey you know slow down stop you're in danger what it's saying is like hey there's something to pay attention to so let me give the running example is Fatigue is essentially an emotion. So if we're going and running a marathon, for example, and we start to feel like that fatigue that is almost like fatigue that you're kind of running out of fuel a little bit, right? That feeling like, oh, okay, I'm I'm getting a little lethargic. All that is sending us is like, if we ignore it and we say, hey, let's tough it through it, we're probably going to bonk. If we say, hey, I'm getting a signal that I'm running a little bit low. Well, guess what? We're going to get our gel or our sports drink and like take a sip, get some calories. And more often than not, that feeling's going to go down a little bit, not go away completely, but it's going to be like, oh, our brain goes, okay, 
He heard the signal. We got fuel on the way. We can still keep going at this pace. Yeah, no, that makes total sense. Um, you also talk about owning owning the voice in your head, which I think is, is actually kind of what you've what you've touched on on there. And, and and you know, there's that kind of famous quote about running. Yeah, just being a conversation between the part of you that wants to quit and and the kind of winning that conversation. Um, is there a, is there a way to have a more nuanced conversation though with the, with the voice in your head rather than the sort of the, the sort of trampling down idea? So the other way to deal with it is change how you talk to yourself. So. One of the things that we know is that whenever that kind of negative voice, you know, comes in is we take it very personally and we actually change how we talk to ourselves a little bit. It's always like, why am I a failure? I can't do this. So it's all kind of first person and research in psychology actually shows when we talk in first person, our brain kind of interprets it as being more personal and amplifies the negative emotional experience that comes with it. On the flip side, if we talk in second or third person, it actually creates what psychologists call psychological distance, and it, it decreases that emotional attachment to the voice, and it allows us to kind of feel and do something about it. So if I'm sitting there, or if I'm running, and I'm like, you know, come on, Steve, you can do this, the brain interprets it a little bit differently, and is more likely to listen to that positive voice then like go down that negative spiral towards negativity. So sometimes just changing how you talk to yourself can have a big effect. This is the Runner's World Podcast. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. What do you think would be an example of like phony mental strength and what would be an example of true mental strength? Is that, that's quite a big question, but I wonder if you could give an idea of like maybe what the old fashioned way is, is holding up as mental strength, but actually what, what does it look like, do you think? Yeah, so I think the old fashioned is a lot of external, meaning okay. like you're putting on a show, you have false bravado, you're almost that person who's like, and we all know it and we all do it sometimes. You're almost like projecting, like maybe if I act really <laughs> confident and talk a big game, like it won't be a big deal. And what what the research shows and what this kind of new new science of toughness shows is that often that just sets us up for failure because we're setting our expectations up. So if I go into 
I don't know, my my 5K park run, and I've never done one before. And I say, oh, this is going to be a piece of cake. Like, I've done a couple runs. Like, I'm, I'm going to be okay. Well, inevitably, it, it's going to get difficult. And if you go in with the mind, I have this no matter what, and this kind of false bravado, the moment it gets difficult, our brain almost overreacts. It's almost like it goes, hey, wait a minute. You told us this is going to be a piece of cake, and now I'm feeling like it's going to be. It, now I'm feeling the the difficulty, and it freaks out. And we, even if you're an experienced runner, you you experience this. Um, I did not too long ago, coming back from a a long bout of injury, and my brain is kind of going with the the old Steve, the fit Steve, where it's like, oh, okay, you know, going out and doing this moderate workout, this isn't a big deal. But because I'd been off for so long, the reality is it was a hard, you know, it was going to be more difficult than I thought. So that mismatch in perception and reality sets you up to kind of freak out. So the new kind of idea of toughness is instead of like this external false bravado, it's more like the internal of like accepting the reality of the situation. Like how difficult may this be? How fit am I actually? Like, what kind of co- capabilities I have? And you want that ma- that match, that alignment over those two, instead of the kind of false bravado that that we're all often taught. And um, I think one of the things that we've discussed this on the on the podcast for me and me and the other hosts about um, the DNF and and kind of how this is often in, in runners' minds as like the ultimate like oh I didn't finish the race. Um, where where does kind of like quitting fit into this? Do you think that bailing on a race or workout is a sign of mental weakness or or are we in, in the kind of world of the ego there again? You know, what really brought clarity to that question is I was talking to some world-class climbers um, and they were saying, you, you know what the tough part of climbing something like Mount Everest or K2 or whatever is? And I'm like, I have no idea. Never done anything like that. And, and they, they essentially said, it's when you're, you're getting to the summit. It's maybe a couple hundred meters away, a couple hours away. And you see it and you think, here is the goal I've been training my lifetime for, like years, poured tens of thousands of dollars into all that stuff. And it's within reach. And in that moment, you have to say, okay, pause. Can I make it not only to the top, but turn around and make it all the way to the bottom? And often the question, the answer is no, I can't because the major or a large majority of accidents happen in that zone, often when you've made it to the top and you're coming back down and don't have the energy to do so. So in that situation, the tough decision is to quit, to turn around, to be able to pause and say, do I have the energy or not? And if I don't, I need to get out of here to live another day. And I think in running, although it's not life or death, we often demonize the the bailing on the workout, the quitting of the race. But the reality is it's closer to that climbing example is if there is a reason, a logical reason to it, where you are maybe saving yourself for another day or the, you know, there's a potential injury coming or you're under the weather and you shouldn't do this workout because it's just going to, you know, dig you in a hole that's going to set you back more than push you forward. Like those are the moments where we need to kind of put our ego aside and say, you know what? It's not my day. And I actually think elite marathoners do this a little bit better than the novice because you look at them and and yeah, they'll they'll tough it out sometimes, but sometimes they'll be like, you know what? <laughs> 
it's it's not my day and for them it's their career in the sense that it's like hey if i'm at mile 15 and i'm already falling apart sure i could tough it out and finish but then i'm not going to get to run another marathon for six months or so whatever and this is my career so maybe if i drop out at 15 i can do another marathon in two months and have a better you know uh, a better effort and a better payday and all that good stuff so i think Again, it's a balance. We don't want to just say, hey, quit whenever you feel like it. Yeah. But you want to be able to, like those climbers, make that wise decision in the moment where sometimes the, the better answer is to quit. Uh, yeah, I think that's a really, that's a really good um, parallel example. In terms of, in terms of training, I, I wonder about, um, when it comes to mental strength and maybe some of, it, some of the ego that comes with this, if that, this also plays into people maybe not being able to do easy runs in, at an easy pace or doing too much of their running in a kind of middle zone. Where, where, do you, where do you see that fitting in in terms of like getting your training right in terms of um, mental strength and real mental toughness? So I think this is, uh, this is a great example because when we run too hard on our easy days, all it is is insecurity. Yes. Yeah. And and there's a wonderful story that I tell in the book, but I think it's worth telling is there's an American marathoner back in the 1950s called Buddy Edelin. And he set the world record in the marathon. And there was this correspondence back and forth with this coach. And I forget the context exactly, but essentially before a race, he ran an easy run that was too long and and too fast. Right. And his and his coach writes back in this journal. He says, "This is a manifestation of uncertainty. There is a time to rest, not hot halfway rest." And he what he was getting at is like, here's this world class runner, marathon world record holder, and even he was struggling with, oh, you know, maybe I'm gonna lose fitness if I don't run this run long enough going into the race or fast enough. In the reality, the coach was saying, hey, this is insecurity, essentially. Like, you're fit. All you can do is get in your own way. You're getting in your own way. And I think that's where we see it often with, um, you know, from novices to experienced runners is like that recovery run, that easy run, that, that run where we're supposed to kind of be disciplined on our easy stuff. We get a little insecure and we say, ah, oh, maybe I could get a little more fitness if I ran this faster or you know ran a little bit longer or what have you and we're just deviating from what's probably best for us because that voice in our head is telling us like oh just push a little bit more push a little bit more and the reality is if we stuck to the plan we'd probably be fitter and, and faster yeah i think that's right um steve if, if people want to find out more about what you do and also um get hold of do hard things where, where can they where can they go Absolutely. So you can find me on just about every social media at Steve Magnus or stevemagnus.com. And then Do Hard Things is available in um, every books, bookstore or online bookstore you can get it at. So um, yeah, check it out. Steve, thanks so much for your time coming on the Runners World Podcast. Absolute pleasure to have you on talking about the real science of, of mental toughness. And uh, thank you very, very much for coming on. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. It was a pleasure. So that brings us to the end of this week's Runners World podcast. A huge thanks to our special guest, Steve Magnus, and to you, of course, for listening. 
You can subscribe to three issues of Runner's World for just £5. Head over to hearstmagazines.co.uk forward slash Runner's World podcast to get this exclusive listener offer. You can listen to the Runner's World UK podcast on Acast, iTunes and all your favourite podcast apps. Just search Runner's World UK. Please subscribe. Makes us very happy. And thanks for listening. We'll see you again next week. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 